Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a podcast for marketers looking to learn about how they can use AI to improve and their work and make it more efficient. I am joined today by my good friend, Martin Broadhurst. Hi, Martin. How are you doing? I am very well this week. Yeah, all good. Been playing with some new tools and uh, presenting a seminar this morning on introduction to marketing AI, funnily enough. So uh, yeah, very much front and center of my thinking right now. A week of mass AI for you then, um, and hopefully you can distill some of all that good stuff into the cool stories we've got this week. Myself, um, I've been really busy within Biostrata, actually doing loads of work, speaking to some really cool clients with really exciting technologies that are going to change cancer research and a bunch of other cool stuff. So it's been quite an exciting week for me speaking to clients, to be honest. But um, I also noticed, and we've been very active on the old WhatsApps, haven't we, this week, Mike? Because a lot of important and interesting things have happened this week as we alert, as we'll come to look at. Firstly, we're going to focus on a handful of stories. It's going to include the uh, apparent imminent release of GPT-4 might have been a little slip up or maybe it was deliberate by uh, by a Microsoft employee yesterday that we're going to cover. We're going to look at the rise of CRM AI assistance because that blew up this week as well. We're going to talk a little bit about domain-specific large language models. In this case, we're going to look at BioGPT and what that might mean for marketers. Uh, and even though it's not a super marketing application, it is mega cool. We're going to talk about a paper that was actually released in uh, November last year, but for some reason caught attention this week where researchers used MRIs and AI tools to try and predict what images people were looking at, which is kind of cool. And we'll, and we'll get into that. We're also going to have a little look at our tool of the week, which is this week is runway.ml. Before we get into all of that, uh, Martin and I wanted to thank everyone for the amazing feedback that we had when we launched our first episode last week we got way more downloads and interest than we were expecting um and we also had some really good questions about how we do the podcast because a couple of uh eagle-eyed eagle-eared listeners um spotted that the voice at the beginning of the podcast didn't sound quite human and of course they were absolutely right we used an ai tool to synthesize that uh, because we've been focusing on how do we produce this entire podcast using as many AI first tools as we can? So the intro voice was actually created using a tool called play.ht. So go and check that out. That was actually a pretty streamlined and easy experience. Gave it a script, chose which voice we wanted, um, recaptured it a few times because you get it in different flavors. It's in different phrase, not phraseologies, but like tempos um, to try and make it feel more natural. So we use that. On the intro music, we used uh, one of your favorite tools, Martin, that you recommended, uh, AVA or A-I-V-A. That was really cool as well. Gave us some really good options to choose from. And if we wanted, we could get into the nitty gritty of even changing the uh, the MIDI clips. For those of you that have played with music, you could actually get right in and edit the AI-driven creations. We didn't, to be honest, because we wanted something quick and easy, but we, but we could have. On the video editing side, uh, including audio enhancement and captions and stuff, we use runway.ml. We'll talk about that a bit later. And the videos have been recorded using Zoom. You did quite a bit on the sort of RSS feed cover image and uh, 
sort of summer tra- tech summaries of the podcast mind? What sort of tools were you using for that? Yeah, so the AI generated cover art was from, uh, it was I think it was a stable diffusion output, but the tool that I used to create it was supermachine.art, which is a really cool site, actually. They've uh, implemented lots of different AI text-to-image models and fine-tuned some themselves. So if you want to use the likes of mid-journey, stable diffusion, and then some fine-tuned variants of those, check out uh, supermachine.art. Oh. Yeah, that was oh, the tech summarization. Sorry yeah. to yeah, I forgot that was a yeah that was a slightly long-winded uh, approach. I was hoping to use Cohere, but after we spoke about Cohere's summarization tool last week, I realised that the the output, quite frankly, would have just been too succinct given all of the broad range of topics that we covered. So it was a it was a somewhat manual effort using a, a transcript generated from rss.com who hosts our podcast took the transcript and then basically fed it into chat gpt and bite-sized chunks taking out the uh the outputs from there and uploading them to the website good stuff so for those of you that asked what we were using that's what we're currently using we're going to be exploring um, and playing with a bunch of other tools as well as we go so that we get a decent feel for what will be the best tools for us to use we also tried podcastle at the beginning um this is episode two um but actually it's episode three because we recorded an episode before episode one uh, and we had a failure in podcastle where it only recorded bits of the audio and we couldn't use it so we're not using podcastle anymore um once bitten once shy in this case rather than twice bitten but um because we just couldn't risk it so we've had a little bit of a play with that that is a powerful tool really fun and easy to use but of course if we couldn't rely on it which we felt we couldn't after that first little slip up, we had to try something else. So stay tuned for other tools that we bring into the mix as we produce this podcast. Right, let us move on to the stories of the week. Martin, first one, you spotted this last night, pinged it over to me and I nearly dropped my phone. So tell us about these GPT-4 rumours. Yeah, so this was uh, the talk of Twitter AI last night. Everyone was uh, was jumping on over it. Yes, so uh, the CTO of uh, Microsoft Germany said that uh, this was at an internal Microsoft event, uh, Microsoft Germany event uh, this week, said that GPT-4 is coming next week. In fact, Specifically, he said, we will introduce GPT-4 next week. There, we will have multimodal models that will offer completely different possibilities. For example, videos. So there's been a lot of talk about GPT-4 for, well, for ages, probably since the release of GPT-3. In all honesty, people start getting excited about the next big thing. It's all been completely... uh, under reps, no details have leaked. There's been wild speculation. In fact, uh, before coming on to this pod, I thought I'd then just check out uh, what were the what were the range of different uh, estimates for the parameters uh, in the model. So, 175 billion parameters in GPT-3. There are guesses or speculation that it's going to have a trillion. I saw one report saying a hundred trillion. So quite frankly, it is anybody's guess how big the model will actually be when it comes out. But I think the interesting thing is multimodal. 
Absolutely. It's not the size of your model. It's what you do with it, Martin, to be honest. And I think in this case, um, it'll be interesting to see how relevant that ends up being. But you're right. On the multimodal side, wow. What are we thinking here? What are we expecting we might get? Well, in the dream scenario, you know, you just type in a prompt and it spits out a fully formed video and says, there you go. There's your, there's your 10 second animated GIF. I would be surprised if it's actual video production capabilities, given where the, the text to video research and development currently is, you know, if you look at what Google has released with imaging and the text to video, very short clips that they're capable of producing. They look cool. They're, they're certainly doing a good job. I wouldn't be surprised if they're slightly further along than that, but, um, I, I would still be surprised if it had video production capabilities um that said i wouldn't be surprised if it was more focused around the input so a bit of speculation reading in some of the the groups and the ai communities today saying it could be that this is multimodal from an input perspective so you can upload an image rather than just being text prompts as the input you can upload an image with a prompt and saying uh, describe this scene or describe this video, transcribe this video. So it starts bringing in elements of things like the capabilities of say, whisper AI, which is the transcription model, but it's all bringing that into one. So it's not necessarily producing the video output, it's uh, editing the inputs or. Right. So multimodal inputs rather than multimodal outputs potentially at, at this point. And I guess we're going to find out next week. I, then, I know. mean, it's, Everything, everything that we say here is absolute speculation. It, it, it wouldn't be surprising either, would it? If it was, if it was text-based, sorry, um, image-based outputs, and they were integrating DALI capabilities in in the outputs, we know that it can already with ChatGPT, it can output code, it can output text, it can output formatted text, so in tables and, and things like that. It wouldn't be a stretch to imagine that it's going to be able to spit out an image in the same way that Dali can spit out an image. That wouldn't completely blow my mind. Um, and and it, to be honest, it wouldn't, wouldn't be a huge surprise if they did introduce some, some video, but in the kind of short form animated GIF, you know, five, 10 second long clip region. That would be quite cool. That would potentially revolutionize email communication at Biostrata where we love uh, a GIF but we have to use existing GIFs, whereas to be able to describe the GIF that you want and then get uh, OpenAI to, uh, or ChatGPT or GPT-4, or whatever ends up being, to produce that would be quite fun. I guess for marketers, this is just an example of how quickly things are developing, right? ChatGPT came at end of November, early December. We're now talking about all these explosion of other tools, some of which we talked about last week. And now we're looking at a tool that potentially has multimodal inputs and also potentially multimodal outputs. So as a marketer, just further increasing the power of the tools that we have available all in one place to get our work done, be more creative, get ideas, first versions of ideas out for us to start thinking about getting feedback on and tweaking. That could all be pretty cool. Yeah, very much so. I remember saying at the start of the year, um, speaking to, to friends and people interested in this space that I would expect a, a multimodal model to come out before the end of the year. It wouldn't surprise me if 
if that's when we see the actual release of 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 it if we look at the timeline for gpt3 there was something like a 17 month gap between the paper announcing the initial gpt3 model and then the actual release of the unrestricted api where anybody could could access it i think it was about a 17 gap so it wouldn't surprise me if there was a a, a decent sized gap between the announcement and then the the actual reality of it but uh when you think about the investors that have come into open ai in recent years microsoft being a big one people are going to be wanting to see developments and i think open ai getting chat gpt out in the way that they did has shown that there's appetite and that there's interest in it so it wouldn't surprise me if they start releasing things slightly quicker than they did before it took them a year from releasing dali to dali 2. dali was a research paper dali 2 was the the lab where you could actually start creating things on it i think we're going to see a bit more acceleration in, from announcement to production Right, so we're going to hear what the cool stuff is next week, but we may not be able to use it or play with it for some time, you think? Yeah, I think so, which would coincide with um, an event that Microsoft have got going on as well to do with AI next week. So it just makes you wonder whether the kind of stars are aligning and, and you know, this is actually something of a orchestrated um, run-up and, and kind of launch, kind of launch. Cool, cool. All right, well, we will, um, I'm sure we'll feature this story next week, assuming we, we get the news that we're hoping for. However, there was some even more uh, additional exciting news items this week. Um, let's talk about the rise of CRM AI assistance, where all the major players basically launched one or um, basically provided us with an announcement about one all in the same week. Tell us a bit more about chatspot and einstein gpt and all the rest mine chatspot.ai brought to you by the coding fingers of Dharmesh shah a co-founder of, of hubspot i mean our background the way we actually met was through the hubspot ecosystem and the hubspot partner program both of us been very involved in that for, for a number of years now uh, yeah, so it was interesting to see Dharmesh announce this. It's very much an alpha release, but HubSpot customers can go to chatspot.ai and connect their HubSpot portal with the Chatspot uh, system. And then they've got ChatGPT connected to their CRM. And <laughs> given that uh, HubSpot is a, a wider platform than just a CRM, it's your marketing it's your customer support it's your sales resources as well you get access to all of that data through a chat interface very cool have you um managed to get on the alpha yet yeah i, I you sent that whatsapp uh, link over to me and said oh, this is cool i signed up immediately and within hours i got access i think four thousand users on the wait list for that last count i saw Dharmesh post on linkedin so clearly a lot of people interested in in getting their hands on it uh, what are your thoughts i know that you've been playing with it yeah i've had a play i saw Dharmesh put a post on that one of his to-dos every day was to approve another hundred users onto the system so i think the fact that we've both got on quite quickly is probably quite lucky to be honest because it seems to me like they're managing managing that quite tightly um that if you watch there's like a 20 minute intro video where Dharmesh takes us through the system and the possibilities are huge because 
imagine being able to go into HubSpot, Salesforce, whatever your tool is, and rather than like 15, 20, 30 clicks trying to get to different reports or bits of information, in essence, you just ask the computer a bit like you would, like if you're in Star Trek, to just summarize information for you. And in fact, they've even got a sort of Google style microphone button where you can speak to um, Chatspot and ask it stuff and it will auto transcribe what you asked for and then and then give you the data. So some of the great things in Darmesh's intro video include things like adding a new contact to HubSpot by just asking HubSpot to add it. So rather than having to click through to contacts and then click add contact and then write in someone's name and then connect it to a company profile. If you use the little microphone button, you can basically just speak it in, please add Bob Bobson from, you know, Acme Co. And, and it will do all that for you. I also really loved the sales prospecting email example. So writing a sales prospecting email about a, a, a new feature release for a product, but the email's heavily customized by what the CRM data has about that individual contact. You could imagine doing that at scale. And the example given really felt like a human had done the due diligence on where do they work? What are they interested in? How long has their company been going? And all that type of stuff. And it was all just fed into the email example. Having played with it, I break it a lot. Um, it is an alpha. That's absolutely the expectation. That's why it's been launched to a, a small group of users. And so we can break it and we can feedback. Oh, it would be so cool if we could do this. But by the way, it didn't work. Um, so I have been breaking it a lot. That being said, there's a few things I was able to do where I was able to get information from it that I just didn't think would be easy to get. So I asked it to give me the location of some of the leads in our database because we manage who's going to do an intro call based on where the person's based because we have a US team, we have a UK team, a European team. So I'd ask for things like the IP country of, of a person's name and it would figure out who the right person was and then tell me what that country was, which was pretty easy and quick for me to then route leads i realized i could do that through workflows and stuff in the back end but i just wanted to see if i had to ask it a quick question like i was asking i don't know a sales admin support person could i just get an instant answer and the answer was yes i could so that was pretty cool i've also enjoyed playing with some of the keyword capabilities so asking it what keywords do certain competitors appear to be bidding on and it would give me really good intel on that which was fab um what else was i doing with it suggested keywords for us to go after which was great i was um lamenting using chat gpt for for keyword research in our last podcast because it doesn't know things like search volumes and stuff well once you connect chat gpt to hubspot's data repository and some of the tools in hubspot that's a different game entirely right because now you're starting to see real search volumes and all of those types of things so yes i'm super excited about what we're going to be able to do with this but at the moment, they're still just trying to get a feel for what are the types of things that people are going to ask of it and how do they iron out those bugs. Yeah, that's very reminiscent of my experience. I was able to break it remarkably quickly, uh, asking it to, uh, I just asked it to just, uh, to tell me what two pipelines, I've, so I've got two sales pipelines set up in my uh, account. I just asked it to tell me the names of them because I'd actually, I thought I knew the name of one of them and I said, can you tell me what's, my current value in the in, in one of the stages in the pipeline and it said that pipeline doesn't exist okay okay well tell me what pipelines i've got and then it brought up some uh some scripts that it was like like from the hub hub database just said like pipeline one and pipeline two that's 
it's not helpful that's not, uh, <laughs> you know it's it, it's an alpha and it's going to have that and i really respect that Darmesh has put it out so quickly and, and said you know go play tell us what you want to do because the potential of it is is really really vast i also loved the idea that it's it's like an assistant it is like having an assistant a crm admin a data analyst just there i i went in and just typed in uh who was my most recent lead what was their original source uh what's the value of pipeline which it didn't uh didn't quite understand but just that you know having that available as a it, with a different interface and i'm sure as this uh as this iterates you know, if you've got a kind of desktop assistant or built into the mobile app where you can just fire off a question or literally speak into it as you say with the uh the microphone control it is going to be a, a productivity game changer for for everyone for sales for admins for marketers yeah i think it's uh got a huge potential and so does salesforce because they too have entered this space this week with einstein gpt they've also announced a 250 million dollar fund to invest in generative AI startups alongside this. So, yeah, I think it's fair to say that this space is hotting up. Absolutely. We also got Microsoft's new GPT-powered chatbot for Dynamics 365 CRM as well, which was going to uh, apparently be able to automatically generate answers to customer emails, suggest marketing and sales campaigns, and uh, do things like summarizing Teams chat threads and stuff. So, so very similar capabilities across a lot of these tools i expect i just i also think as they evolve we'll see some homogenization there so probably it's likely that most of the tools will do the same things and it's what ecosystem are you already in um, but certainly if you are using a crm and you're not using one of the big players like a, a dynamics or salesforce or, or hubspot you need your provider to be thinking about this type of stuff and building these types of tools and otherwise you're massively going to be left behind so you can imagine how this could cause a migration of people using sort of smaller platforms built by smaller companies and actually this is the thing that pushes them into hubspot into salesforce into dynamics to be able to get access to this sort of power so i think that'll be an interesting thing to see how that plays out the other thing i noticed when i was playing with this was I had to think differently and I've been trying to hit how do I articulate how I had to try and think and rather than my brain instantly going through a click-based process in my mind like I need to go here to do this to do this to do this in order to get real valuable stuff out the system I had to think about insights I wanted to know outcomes that I wanted it was a it was a different style of thinking it was less to-do based and it was more instantly, what's the outcome that I want? Because I'll give an example. Sometimes I'll go into the reports tool in HubSpot and I'll, I might look for a specific thing. Okay, I know the outcome then. But sometimes I'll play with the filters on the tool to like, oh, but I wonder if, oh, but I wonder if. Um, I, I think that's kind of a discovery-based process where I've got the filters in front of me and I see them and I'm like, oh, I can filter by that. And I didn't realize that would be quite interesting to see. So... I think if you're going to be asking a chatbot to do it, there's a there's a, the potential that we're going to need to think a bit more creatively about what outcomes we're after. We may need to learn our systems better to even know what we can ask them to do. 
and potentially as the tools get better the only real limitation could be the creativity we can come up with in terms of i wonder if i you know computer i wonder if you can show me this and this combined in this plot and it'll be like yeah paul no worries and it will show me and i can maybe see some insights about how our pipeline's progressing or what our best lead sources are that i may not have um, even thought to do in the past so as, at the same time as we see these tools evolve and mature, I think as people will have to change our approach a bit in terms of how we get the information and insights that we want. Yeah, I find, particularly uh, with chat GPT, with the chat interface, if you're, so if you look at the way that the chat GPT API is set up, there is uh, basically an instruction at the start to say, what's the role of the chat in this scenario? So you'll say, you are a travel assistant at a airline helping customers do this that the other right so that's the kind of input at the start i think it helps to go into the chat spot or you know, the crm assistant ai whatever you want to call it go into it with that mindset what do i want this to play at this moment in time because when i first went into chat spot it's got all of the suggested prompts down the side and it can kind of do everything it can write an email for you it can interrogate data it can do tasks like adding new contacts it can do a lot but actually, when you go into it, what do I want this assistant to do for me now? Is it a data analyst? Do I want it to uncover some lead intelligence? Uh, do I want it to tell me about uh, the best performing channel? Do I want it to tell me about which piece of content is having the most influence on revenue in the last quarter? You have to go into it thinking about what's the role that it's playing. But yeah, also knowing what the potential is within the data. Because ultimately, that's what we're doing here. We're connecting a huge pool of data to this resource. And I dare say that most people don't know what a treasure trove of data they're sitting on with their with their CRM. Absolutely agree. I think that'll be a, I think that'll be a big part of it. Uh, we should also mention that <laughs> HubSpot released another cool beta tool exactly the same time as this that's kind of been lost a little bit because of how cool chatspot.ai is but it's a new content assistant tool which i um i haven't been able to get on the beta yet hubspot if you're listening it'd be very nice to get on there maybe we'll feature that in tool of the week if you could be so kind um but i assume it's some sort of gpt3 style text tool for writing blog posts summarizing content etc etc are, are you on that beta have you managed to play with it no, likewise, I saw it existed. I uh, haven't got on there yet. Uh, it looks like a content generation tool, much like something that you would find offline with the likes of Jasper or something similar. But until I've got my hands on it, couldn't pass any comment or judgment. Yeah, me too. Uh, last point on that. That's really interesting. I was listening to the um, uh, the podcast with um, Paul Reutzer and Mark, uh, Mike Put this week, and they were talking a little bit about uh, or maybe it was last week, the consolidation of and rap, of tools and rapid emergence of other tools. And how do you bet as a marketer on what tech stack you're going to build? Like, I wouldn't take, as much as we're all offered these much better deals if we buy, like, if we commit to a year to a software tool, I wouldn't do that for any tool at the moment because, you know, if I'm, if I'm a HubSpot customer, will I need Jasper or Writer or HyperWrite or any of these tools in three or six months? Maybe not. Because if I'm doing most of my sales prospecting emails or creating blog posts or whatever in HubSpot, I may have the writing tools I need in there to do it. Um, one of the things that 
is is part of ChatSpot is you can ask it to produce images for you and you can tell it what style you want them in. So it's almost like a Dali-esque uh, image generation tool as well, where it will create all of the images in the same style so that your blog or whatever has images that fit together into a coherent brand style. So really interesting to see how that's going to play out and what tools do we all invest in? How do we train our team on the different tools? Because which tool we use might change from week to week and i'm starting to drift towards betting on again the big players the sales forces the hub spots of the world to try and bring so as many of these tools inside their ecosystem as possible so that i won't hopefully have to buy any other tools because they'll all just be natively in the tools i'm using to this point up, up until this point the tools that people have been using to interface with the likes of gpt3 have effectively been a polished front end. It's it's a very simple layer on top of it. And if you can create a front end and train some specific use cases on, you know, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give the model, I'm going to give GPT-3 five examples of email subject lines and then connect into that via the API. I've now got a subject line writer for my tool. And if you do that 40 times for 40 different use cases, you've got a tool that you can, you can productize. It was a, it was a commodity, right? It was very easy and cheap to build. The real power of this, the thing that's going to be the kind of multi-billion trillion dollar industry game changer is that connection to that first party data and where you've got AI that can, you know, it's fine tuned and embedded with your own data. And companies that can make that process super simple. Just this week, um, you know, e-commerce platforms. Uh, you've got the likes of Slack integrating with ChatGPT. There's, there's huge amounts of internal company communications and data in Slack channels. If you can just say to a chatbot, "Oh, find me the conversation where I discuss this, this, and this," that's a game changer. Mm. And, and that's where the the power of the assistant, the assistance is going to come. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't know why anyone would commit to uh, any of these AI tools that aren't doing something differently. But I, to their credit, when I think about things like the AI copywriting tools, the ones that immediately spring to mind for me are the ones that are doing something different. Jasper's got the business brand tone of voice element. So it's understanding how your company writes long shot as fact gpt which can do real time uh, copywriting or about stories published yesterday um you know it's it's, it's really powerful and, and very capable i look at the likes of go charlie and what they're doing with content repurposing where you can create blogs from video content and audio snippets and that's they're going to be the usps for those content-led uh, tools i think I think they, they absolutely are. I think they may have to evolve because I hear those examples you're describing and I think, well, our, our website and blog are on HubSpot. So HubSpot knows and can quickly, the bot can quickly just go and see what our brand style is. If that's built into the system, it can, it can write like us. In fact, I could probably even ask it to create a new service page for me based on existing service pages because they've all kind of got the same template that they're using. 
So I guess it could go build those pages, potentially populate the images in the holes where the images go, maybe even write some copy because it knows what copy style we use on those pages. We've got our Facebook ads and Google ads and LinkedIn ads all connected to HubSpot. So HubSpot has all the data on which of our ads work best. If it can pull the copy or creative for those ads down, which I assume it can, I don't play with it enough to really uh, to really know that off the top of my head. Well, then it can also start to suggest and write LinkedIn ads for me based on the LinkedIn ads it happens to know have already worked best in the past. So again, like you said, that first party data lives in a lot of these tools that we're already using. And if the Jaspers and the writers of the world don't have access to that, well, we don't give them access to that. You know, we may find that we don't end up using them. What you've convinced me through this, Martin, is that my super duper amazing AI writing tool that I'm going to build is probably not worth building at this point. But you did give me a wonderful strap line for it, which is the polished front end. <laughs> which is going to be either the strap line for my new AI writing tool or the name of my new band, to be honest, because in both cases, I really, really like it. Um, that is a probably a good time to segue on to uh, our last few stories for the week. Um, the first one, a quick one, is um, about domain-specific large language models. So when we're thinking about ChatGPT and some of these other tools, they've been trained on a huge amount of information and data across many, many different subject matters. And as such, they can sometimes struggle when we ask questions, very, very specific questions about very, very specific topics where only a little bit of their training data um, is, is about that topic. So um, there was a research paper, I think it was actually towards the end of last year, that then Microsoft um, um, launched a, a model based off the back of it called BioGPT. And in essence, BioGPT was, a, it was a, as a language model that's been trained on all of the scientific papers within PubMed. I don't know how many of them. This huge. It's like 14 million papers or something like that. And so in this case, it's a, a large language model that understands healthcare research, medical research, primary, fundamental biology, chemistry research better than any of the general models. And so if you ask it for um, information on COVID or a particular drug target or a protein or a, or a gene, it's going to give you a much more accurate answer than any generalized model. It was built, this model, based on GPT-2. Now, I don't have any experience playing with GPT-2, to be honest, but what I saw within BioGPT was the amount of content that it can create is limited. So you can start a sentence and it will finish the sentence. You can even ask it a question and it might give you one or two sentences as an answer. But beyond that, it doesn't really generate that much more data. Um, so it's looking like its applications right now are going to be for doing things like generating descriptions of specific therapies or drug targets, as I said, maybe in designing slightly better clinical trial protocols, drawing relationships between factors in in its database so maybe drug drug interactions like oh does this drug interact with this drug yes no um because when you're prescribing drugs you've got to be mindful of what other drugs someone else is on in case there's going to be a, a harmful um, reaction between the two but as a marketer it's certainly not a tool yet where i could working in the life sciences like i do um, ask it to write really informed blog posts or articles for me because it could just it could only produce a couple of sentences why is this important for marketers well a it shows the power of a domain specific model 
um, which I definitely think is there. The information accuracy that you get out of this versus, say, ChatGPT, uh, there is, you know, there is a difference. This obviously will be applied in other areas. You can imagine the legal profession's got its own language, for example. I'm sure um, different areas of engineering and manufacturing have their own languages too. So the creation of niche models on information repositories specific to those niches is going to be valuable. But until they leverage the power of GPT-3 and, hey, maybe GPT-4, they're not going to be as broadly usable for marketers as chat gpt and other tools is what i would say what are you thinking on the uh on these domain specific models mind do you think we're going to see a lot more of these i think it's inevitable if for no other reason i believe that they're less resource intensive as well you know they when you're calling something from chat gpt or gpt3 you know that's using that whole network and my understanding is that these don't draw as much resource so the compute power for every request is lower so i think there's going to be a efficiencies else better for the planet if everybody's using these things all day every day uh, but yeah I, I think having more tightly trained without again it goes back to what we were saying with the crm thing it where there's a cluster of data that's relevant for your space whether it's your your business and your first party data or your sector that's what you're going to want to, to call upon. You don't, you know, it's great that chat GPT and GPT-3 large language models have knowledge outside of that. Really, that's what I want to focus on. So having access to models that, that are more efficient and more tailored and, and more knowledgeable in depth is, is going to be a game changer for, for all industries, I think. Yeah, I agree. Right, let's um, keep the biology theme going for uh, the last story of the week. Again, this is mostly because it's mega cool rather than there being obvious applications for um, for marketers today. But there was a, a preprint um, research paper that was actually published in November, but for some reason is getting a bit of buzz this week, where AI was used to recreate images that people had seen by reading their brain scans. So if I'm you just, just, just saying that aloud. It's unbelievable. If you feel a bit queasy hearing that and you're like, sorry, what? <laughs> um, I think you are probably uh, among the majority there. So there was a bunch of reports this week. The one I read was in um, in Science Magazine about how rese researchers use stable diffusion, which is one of the AI models for image generation, to interpret brain activity and recreate images that people were looking at. So basically they used a data set where four people looked at 10,000 images while their brain was being scanned using fMRI. And the results were scarily accurate. So in one example, they had someone look at a teddy bear. The, the pure model is able to generate the shapes and perspective that makes it look a bit like a teddy bear, but not really. And then when supported by a short image caption like teddy bear, the system can produce an image that was scarily close to the actual image the person was looking at. Um, that text bit is critical, though. Um, because I think it sounds super, 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 super cool, and it is, but when you learn that the system using the MRI was able to get the approximate shapes and colours right, but needed that little bit of help to interpret them as a as a, um, as a a teddy bear, that or, you know, whatever it may be, I think that's a critical part that, that helped it to improve much better. Um, but still incredibly cool, and here's some, some stuff from that science article. So uh, Iris Groen, who's a 
a, a neuroscientist not involved in the work thought that the accuracy of the new method was very, very impressive um, and that these diffusion models have an unprecedented ability to generate realistic images, which I think is really cool. Um, and as science say, create new opportunities for cognitive neuroscience research. Um, one of the scientists who worked on the study suggested that further refinements to the technology could be used to in in intercept imagined thoughts and dreams. Just going to let that sink in for a moment. Or could allow scientists, this is incredible, I'm not laughing because it's funny, I'm laughing because I literally can't believe it. Or could allow scientists to understand how differently other animals perceive reality. Wow. If I just slipped into the twilight zone, are we really here discussing this? That is, I, that sounds quite speculative to, speculative to me, but the fact that they can even interpret those those um, those brain patterns to figure out approximate shapes and colours is pretty awesome. Um, and we saw this story this week, didn't we, Martin? And we were like, that can't be real. We've got to be nonsense. Yeah. We did everything we could on the web to try and find the reasons why this was junk. Um, but once we started seeing more reputable providers like science picking it up and we dove into some um, subreddits and reddits on the topic and we read the paper and we're obviously not experts in this area, but we were really trying to find how to find the, the, the reasons why this wasn't so exciting. And the only real one we could find is you need to support that image, that image interpretation with a bit of a text prompt, which I think makes it a tiny bit less exciting than it sounds on the surface, but still pretty cool. Incredibly cool. And we're at day one of this technology. If it's doing this today, just think about what we were saying with uh, chat GPT-3 to GPT-4, we're, we're potentially talking about a model that goes from 175 billion parameters to a trillion, say. That's in the space of three years of development. You know, fast forward five, 10 years, the requirement to add that little bit of text saying teddy bear, I don't think it's going to be there, do you? I suppose you can get, the more data you can get on this and the better that you can train them. The only thing I can think of in terms of real world application is we can't all walk around with a miniature fMRI on our head recording what we're, we're doing, but I'm sure they potentially be able to find other mechanisms to analyze silly at this point. <laughs> I mean, I, I do not need a real time live stream of my thoughts and feelings just being like interpreted and potentially leaked to the world. Knowing you as I do, and I would think that A, that would get you in a lot of trouble and B, it should be illegal just based on some of the things that float around in there. Yeah, no, it's really going to change the dynamic of those Zoom calls. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, okay, that's quite enough nonsense uh, uh, there. Let's move on to the very last part of our section this week, which is our tool of the week. And this week we are focusing on runway.ml. So what is it and what can it do? Runway is a multimodal tool that is focused on AI supported image and video generation, basically, uh, and also image and video enhancement. It can do a, a few other things like audio cleanup on a video, transcription and all that good stuff. Um, but there's really so, so, so many tools. And I think what makes Runway different from a lot of the other tools that you can use is just how many different things you can do with it. So it's got trained image generators. We'll talk about those a bit in a moment. It's got a remove background tool, a text to image tool, an image to image tool, image expansion tools, erase and replace. It's got um, backdrop changes. It's got text to 3D texture. On the 3D, uh, on the video side, you can use inpainting to remove people and objects from videos that you wish weren't in there when you, weren't in there when you captured the video. 
it can do artificial bokeh effects it can blur faces it can do super slow motion it can clean your audio loads of stuff um when you think about the fact that it is only $12 a month per user to be able to access all of those tools is kind of spectacular. And there are many of them. I haven't played with all of them. There are just too many. Um, but many of them are really, really powerful and work nearly as advertised in almost all the cases I've played with so far. And I've seen some examples where people really pushed it to the limit, removing say subjects from videos where they're panning the video across and they actually managed to pretty much remove a whole subject from it which is again kind of crazy when you think about it um so that's that's really cool um a couple of the things that i think are especially special about runway ml that that make it i mean it's worth checking out just for all that stuff but some of the stuff that's really especially cool is the fact that you can train the models on your own images so you've got the personal portraits i know there's a do you remember the name of the app that was doing the rounds a month or so ago where everybody got obsessed with making themselves look like famous characters from different stuff? No, it was uh, it was trending for a, for about a week, wasn't it? Everyone yeah. was going mad for it. But, uh, no, I don't so, remember the name. So you can basically do the same thing in Runway. So if you wanted to see yourself uh, as Princess Leia from Star Wars or Jon Snow from Game of Thrones or maybe even the Hulk from the Avengers, you now can do. There's an animal version of it, so you can chuck in pictures of your pets and, and you can... Uh, and you can do pretty much the same thing with animal pictures. And then there's a model where you can basically train it on any set of images that you have. So you could imagine a, a time where you might give it your icon repository as a brand or, or your brand image set. And then use that to generate image from text prompts where you had much more confidence that the images that you got would be in your brand colors and that type of stuff. So that's pretty, pretty cool. Um, I also love the infinite image um, and the image expander tools. A lot of the tools you can generate using AI the, at the moment are square, but most of the images that I need are not square, right? I need more widescreen style images for websites or for social media images or for banners on blog posts and all that type of stuff. So that makes it very easy to generate the square image, maybe using another tool if you get different types of results or different types of tools, but you can quickly then expand it or change the aspect ratio of the image to fit what you're actually trying to do. As I've mentioned, the in-painting to remove objects from people from videos looks really powerful and surprisingly accurate. So that's worth playing with. And Runway have just released their Gen 1 tool for creating videos. Now, I think this is quite early in terms of the types of video production that we can expect from AI augmented tools. But I did see one example on Twitter where someone had basically filmed some scenes on their phone in their house and then fed Runway's Gen 1 tool some image stylizations and that raw video from their phone and create like a stylized cartoon of someone as Indiana Jones. Uh, dig it out on the socials a bit or by Googling it if you can, because it's actually really kind of spectacular and it gives the feeling that it could probably have been produced in a couple of hours max. In fact, I suspect the bit that took the longest was actually filming the sort of raw scenes in the house on the phone. So if you think about how you could very quickly knock up storyboard and creative ideas for your next video ads to support your campaign, or dare I say it, for some of the campaigns that you might run, the, the video that you might even get from Gen 1 might be good enough to run on, you know, as part of a Facebook ad campaign or something like that. That is really rather cool. Um, 
It's got loads of stuff it can do. Having played with it, a lot of the stuff works really well. We decided to use Runway as the tool we were going to trial for editing the first video version of the podcast. So for last week's episode one, the interface is very intuitive and that's great. So it's easy to use. But the biggest drawback that I found with it was it was too slow. When I was trying to edit, you know, the podcast is about 45 minutes long. When I was trying to edit the automatically generated captions, it did a brilliant job of getting those captions pretty much perfect but there were probably around 40 to 50 small areas usually the names of, of people or or tools or technologies editing that it would take like five seconds to make each edit because it would update so slowly oh no i couldn't handle that so so that was a, not quite what i was looking for the export function also took hours to produce a, a 45 minute 720p video where if i think if i was using a piece of technology that was on board on my PC, like um, Adobe Premiere Pro or something, like it would be 10%, 20% of the time of that. So if you're in a rush and you really need to produce video quickly, I'm not sure, at least with my current setup, maybe it was my browser, maybe it's my processor, I don't know, um, a little bit too slow for me on that. So huge amounts of potential, especially on the video and probably short, uh, especially on the images, I should say, and the short video side. In terms of editing the, the long-form video, not so good um, quite yet. So at the moment, all of this is done in the browser? Yes, all in the browser. And, and that probably is the main limitation, I would have thought. Even Descript has. So Descript's another tool that you can use for really easy AI-supported uh, editing. That actually has a tool that you download. So maybe um, maybe that's what's going to be needed, but... Um... Yeah, I, I think if you're looking for a powerful all-in-one image and video creation tool, you should definitely check out Runway because I think it's just got so many capabilities for a ridiculously low price point. Yeah, £12 or $12 a month is nothing for, for all of that. You would, uh, I've seen some tools like, for instance, the uh, kind of portrait face replicator thing, training a model on your own face. I've seen tools going for $10, $12 per training set. So just to train your face once, uh, it would could cost you that. So getting all of that bundled in uh, is, is quite the deal. Yes. I do think that every time you train it on an image set, you have to pay a small fee in addition, if I'm honest. Even uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the ongoing access is, is relatively cheap. Cool, cool. Well, that's our tool of the week, and that brings us to a close for this week's podcast. Always a pleasure chatting with you, Martin. Loads of great stuff this week. Uh, Covered some ground, yeah, definitely. We absolutely have done. Thanks so much to those of you who have listened today and got to the end. Um, high fives to you. And uh, we'll look forward to having a good chat next week and hopefully to having you join us. Have a good, great, have a great week, mine. You too. See you soon. Cheers, bye. Thank you for listening to Artificially Intelligent Marketing. To stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, be sure to subscribe. We look forward to seeing you again next week.